get to meditation. It's nice to see you for the uh, Dhamma talk, especially so early in the morning. Because it still is early, especially on Sunday, for people who are working during the week, shopping on Saturday, cleaning up the house on Saturday afternoon. Sunday is usually the only real rest day. But of course, Sunday, according to our religious heritage, Christian religious heritage, wasn't really intended to be just a physical day of leisure, or a day of physical leisure. It was uh, traditionally intended to be a religious day, the religious day, the day of rest in terms of putting aside the material preoccupations in order to pursue the spiritual aspects of life. And this is not unique to Christian, the Christian heritage of course, in all traditions there is a tendency to choose a day on which to do that, in other words to put special emphasis on the spiritual aspect of life. Buddhism being a much older religion which originated in uh, India where they were using the lunar calendar the time of the Buddha and for a long time after the time of the Buddha the religious days were marked by the phases of the moon not a fixed day of the week but rather uh, according just to the phases of the moon such as the full moon or the new moon or the half moons so that uh, this amounted to also one day a week four days a month which were called the Uposata days the day of fasting and it was called that primarily because it was the day which uh, many of the devout uh, people not only Buddhist people but it was uh, also common amongst many of the other sects, religious sects, present in India at that time. It was the day that people would put aside a lot of their material um, tasks, worldly preoccupations, such as work, and spend the day, uh, say, in the monasteries or in the vicinity of the religious centers. And it was a common practice that there was uh, restrictions are imposed in the form of renunciations to facilitate the spiritual quest. One of those restrictions which was um, practiced by the Buddhist community and uh, I, I think also by some of the other communities was that of fasting in the afternoon and the evening period so that they partook of the uh, meal or food in the morning period. This is the common or the ordinary uh, normal practice for the ordained mm, members of the Buddhist community, that is monks and nuns, novices and postulants. But for the lay members of the community, they also took this training of fasting in the uh, afternoon um, on those special uposata days, half moon, full moon, and new moon days, one day a week. So that it was a day where they would uh, dedicate themselves to more intense, sincere, spiritual undertakings, both in um, discipline, renunciation, as well as the uh, emphasis in uh, mind training through meditation, listening to Dhamma, listening to teachings, contemplation, reflection. And uh, of course to facilitate that, the fasting in the afternoon and also the uh, staying in the in a monastery for the day and the night quite often, giving up of, uh, as a, uh, a lot of the uh, distractions such as music and entertainment, singing and dancing, and uh, wearing very simple clothing, and withdrawing from the various forms of uh, sexual involvement. All of that for the purpose of 
uh, channeling as much energy and interest as possible in the quest for spiritual progress. So that these days, uh, the moon days of course, because of the uh, nature of the lunar calendar, these fall on different days of the week, it's not a fixed day. And so the religious day uh, in the Buddhist tradition, the day in which people would dedicate themselves to the religious pursuit, uh, it moved. It was uh, sometimes it fell on a Monday, then maybe on a Tuesday, and on it kept on moving. There was no fixed date. In the Christian um, heritage that we have in the Western world, it was much more um, fixed, so that uh, Sunday was nominally the religious day. For other, for the Jews, I think it's Saturday. But most religions have a day, and this is indeed very very good if people use it for that right purpose but of course for the greater majority of people it is just a day of leisure and entertainment and um, sleeping in taking it easy unwinding and uh, not much effort put forth in terms of uh, training or renunciation or discipline um, sometimes even uh, goes the other direction but uh, it is a, a good opportunity, though, to have such uh, such days. Whatever we can make it a Monday, we can make it a Tuesday or a Sunday. But it is good to have one day in which uh, we could uh, make special uh, effort in uh, considering the spiritual side of life, because we do have a spiritual side to life. We have a mind and we have aspiration. We do want to realize uh, truth. We want to realize happiness. We want to realize peace. We want to discover understanding with regards to our existence. And in order to do that we need to dedicate time and we need to develop the path that facilitates the realization of those aspirations. However, in Buddhism, it is very much a matter of really understanding what we're doing and not just uh, allowing these things to become uh, just rigid observances based on some belief, based on some tradition, without really knowing why. And in all religions, even in Buddhism, but not as much as in other religions, that is very, very evident that in the course of time, as a religion becomes an institution, institutionalized religion, a fixed tradition of observances and practices, more often than not, people forget why they're doing those things. And it becomes a matter of uh, doing it because that's what you're supposed to do. And if you don't do it, then you're doing something contrary to the religion, but without any understanding. And this is how the many uh, obsessions, the many attachments to rituals are, are result. And we start developing these ideas on what is sacred and what is uh, sin, so that they become very fixed uh, ideas, fixed views, without any real understanding. And that is the practice of blind beliefs, rites, and rituals. Now, in Buddhism, we should and I think we have been very successful through the ages to avoid such things of institutionalizing the Buddhist teachings and just developing a fixed rigid set of observances uh, and adhering to them quite blindly without any understanding and developing very fixed rigid ideas about sin in other words when one acts contrary to those observances without any understanding not knowing why and what a sin is, but we have sinned. 
in Buddhism there is a strong emphasis in understanding what we are doing, why we are doing it understanding what is uh, really a religious practice and in Buddhism we have some, we do have some terms such as punya, which is translated as merit, meritorious kusala, skillful sila, uh, morality or precepts in accordance to Dhamma what is Dhamma, in accordance to Dhamma and these are all termed as the uh, the good, it's the good life, the good action the good practice when one observes and follows these particular undertakings but it is important to, un- to understand that all of this whether it's Punya, Kusala, Dhamma, Sila, all of these revolve around our intention and our understanding not just some blind act not just some blind undertaking in the hope that through that act through that undertaking we gain some uh, merit or gain some blessings and become pure now just like uh, in many religions there are certain sacraments uh, for instance uh, in, in, in Brahmanism and it's practiced by Buddhists as well and I, I'm, I'm a party to this practice quite often and that is um, for newborn babies shortly after they are born as soon as they have some hair on them it is the tradition amongst many Buddhists and certainly it was uh, this is from earlier on than Buddhism is part of say the Hindu and the Brahman tradition where they would take the baby to the priest in order to uh, give the baby a blessing not a christening, a blessing and and they usually clip the hair mm. clip the hair of the newborn baby symbolic of cutting away uh, cutting off the unwholesome kamma from previous lives in other words cutting away any uh, demerit or any bad action from the past and of course as a symbol it could be a nice gesture but no one can purify anyone else certainly not, not by cutting their hair nor by sprinkling water nor by giving anything to anyone can you purify you cannot purify another you can help, you can guide, you can encourage, you can do many things but you cannot purify them certainly by no such means so that these practices that have accumulated in many religions in Buddhism also to some extent must be contemplated they must be seen in accordance to in accordance with wisdom there is no way that a ceremony of this nature can purify anyone of any sin they cannot do it nor by the uh, abstaining from such a ceremony can it defile anyone if the baby is not being brought to the monk and hasn't had his hair clipped it's not going to be any skin of his nose not going to make any difference to the baby nor if the baby is not being taken to be sprinkled with water whether it's in the Catholic or whether even in the Buddhist tradition it doesn't make any difference it cannot make any difference to that baby these are rituals and we are talking about spiritual we are talking about the mind and the heart we're talking about cultivating of spiritual qualities which is something that must be done uh, through intentional choice, volitional action through understanding merit arises when there is the volitional choice to do good skillfulness is developed when there is the volitional choice to develop that which is good 
morality arises when there is a volitional choice to abstain from that which is harmful and hurtful. The baby, if you take it along and <laughs> stick it in the bath or have it take it, it doesn't have any choice. It's not a, it's not skillful. It's not unskillful at all in with regards to the baby. It's got nothing to do with the baby, really. It's just a victim, <laughs> or just an instrument in the uh, in the ceremony. It's the volitional choice of the parents. It may be a well-intentioned, you know, choice that they make with wholehearted kindness and love and well-wishing for their child and that would be their good karma in sense it's a skillful action but not the babies the babies pretty passive in that uh, situation so that we need to have a, a very clear understanding with regards uh, the religious path the religious practice cultivation of the spiritual it is to do with the intentional choices that we make in our lives. When we choose to follow a certain course of action, a certain course of conduct, a certain way of living, a certain way of thinking. And when that way that we choose is based on goodness and skillfulness, when it is in accordance with Dhamma, in other words, cultivating the factors, the conditions which are conducive to spiritual growth, conducive to mental purity, conducive to understanding and wisdom, then we call that skillful, meritorious. So that from the Buddhist perspective there cannot be any uh, action which in itself is meritorious but it is more volition behind it that makes it meritorious and skillful. For instance, going to church or going to the temple, is that a meritorious act? Is that a skillful act? From the external, if one is purely concerned with the external assessment, one would say, oh yes, very religious, very pious person going to the temple every Monday or going to the church every Sunday. But from the Buddhist perspective, it's always, well, I'm not sure, why is the person going? Why are you going? What's the volition? Because one could go for many different reasons, couldn't one? I, when uh, living in Thailand, I always, at first I was very, very inspired. On uh, these moon days, it is the tradition, because our monasteries in Thailand were in the very rural uh, outback areas of Thailand, where the people still uh, could, they worked mainly on the land, and so they could take a, a day off when it, can, when it suited them. And they would, uh, if they were going to take a, a rest day, it would be on the moon days, not on the Saturday or the Sunday. So that in these cultures they could still uh, keep the rest days or the religious days in accordance with the lunar calendar. So at first I was always very inspired, but sometimes I'd notice these um, village people they travel, they'd walk six or seven kilometers, eight kilometers to go to the temple to listen to Venerable Ajahn Chah, my teacher. And they'd uh, listen to his talks. They'd go along. And I'm very inspired. And, wow, these people are very devout. Uh, very, very, very devout, sincere, committed people to, uh, committed <coughs> to the Dhamma. And of course, there were many like that as well. But I was uh, even surprised to see some of the men, uh, the village men, whom I normally wouldn't have associated with such devotion. <laughs> and I was, so I was even more inspired. Wow, even these men, who are normally not so interested, would come to the temple and listen to the Dhamma. And I was saying this to one of the Thai monks, and he said, they come and get the lottery numbers. <laughs> <laughs> so they come and they listen for any clue. Yeah. And I, not all, I'm not saying the whole, but some of these people, that, that was the reason why they went. They went 
to listen in order to get the clues for the oncoming lottery so they could get the numbers and uh, win the lottery. It's a different lottery system than we have here. You can actually choose the numbers uh, you want. And uh, now going to the temple and going to listen to Dhamma with that intention is not, um, one wouldn't call that terribly enlightened or terribly spiritual. (laughs) (laughs) Terribly spiritual. It's not the volition behind it is is very worldly, very mundane. It's, uh, it's not much different than uh, you know some of the other materialistic uh, undertakings of the ordinary uh, life. And so we probably wouldn't say that it's a very um, religious uh, undertaking by those people, not necessarily gaining much merit. It's not as bad as going to do other things, but it's not quite, it's not in itself such a meritorious, skillful practice, religious practice. And uh, I know from, uh, like, uh, I know from traditional Christian cultures, going to the church was also a very social time for young men and young women. The time, (laughs) the time to, to meet. And uh, again, the intention for going to church was not quite so pre- concerned with the uh, religious aspect. So that here we begin to see that the merit doesn't come just from going to church, going to the temple. Why are you going? It's very important. Why are you doing that practice? Why are you undertaking that activity? And so volition is so crucial to it, and understanding as well. Because of volition, one can, uh, there are so many different uh, aspects to volition. It can come from desire, it can come from aversion, it can come from fear, it can come from pride, it can come from all sorts of superstition. So it requires careful noticing to see whether it is really skillful. The volition that is considered skillful in Buddhist uh, teaching is when the volition comes from uh, a mind that is free from three things in general. But these three things, of course, can be, you know, you can expand it to make many other things. It's usually alopa, adosa, amoha. Lopa, dosa, moha means greed. Mm, or craving, mm, aversion, or anger, and delusion. Delusion, These three. And when they put a in front of it, alopa means lack of craving, selfishness. Lack of aversion. Lack of delusion. And uh, in this also, of course, there are things like in delusion, uh, there's also association associated with fear. Fear. If there is fear as a basis for the volition, it is not a skillful. It's considered not skillful. If one is acting from fear, that is not skillful. If one is acting from superstition, uh, that is also not skillful. It's considered not a skillful basis for the action. And notice that in a lot of religion, the strongest, the motivation that is uh, encouraged is very much, or quite often, fear. If you don't come on Sunday, if you don't come next Sunday, punishment. In other words, it's encouraging fear. If I don't go, I'm going to get it. I'm going to, uh, you know, it's going to be a sin. And I'm going to go and, and, and I'm going to suffer and be punished. Uh, so there's a lot of fear. And a lot of the devotional or a lot of the um, religious practices and observances come from fear, which is unskillful mm-hmm. from the Buddhist perspective. And we would never encourage it. Or the very opposite of that is that the the religious observance is undertaken from the 
uh, intention arising out of craving. Hmm? This is very common, and uh, in Buddhism as well. Very, very common. In other words, we do good things in order to get better, uh, better results, better conditions. We give an apple in the morning in the hope of getting position, uh, a new, uh, like uh, being promoted to a new position, getting a better position in heaven. Mm. And this is uh, very commonly spoken of, very openly by all religious people, and it's taken to be quite acceptable, even in Buddhism. Many, many stories like this, which I personally find a little uh, distasteful myself where it's actually encouraging people to do good for the sake of getting... Uh, I mean, of course, one does good to get good results, that's all right, but in a very material sense of, yes, if you give so much, then you will be rewarded and you will have a bigger, big, better uh, celestial palace to live in. And that's sort of... They actually use words like that. And... Uh, it, and there's a lot of a lot of greed can come into that those observances and that, those actions. So that quite often in religious practices there are certain observances which are followed without any understanding as to their real purpose. The motivation is usually based on fear and craving, because that's what one is uh, conditioned. And so this is all to do with what in Buddhism we would call unskillful. The religious practices become unskillful. They are not associated with right intention. They are not associated with wisdom. So the right intention is, as I said, the intention of not so much craving, but more the idea of relinquishment or renunciation. Not so much the idea of aversion, uh, but the idea of compassion and kindness. Not so much delusion, but the understanding. Understanding that peace and happiness does result from certain ways of living. And understanding that there are practices, ways of living, in other words, ways of developing our lives, in order to facilitate growth towards enlightened, growth towards peace, growth towards understanding. And that we can volition, uh, we can choose to follow that by choice, by will, by intention. And that those ways are not in themselves, uh, you know, it's not just going to the temple that is meritorious or skillful or somehow magical. That not just by uh, offering flowers to the Buddha or uh, uh, lighting candles and uh, doing some uh, forms of worship nor by uh, some various forms of ceremony but rather the idea of training, cultivating the mind, the qualities, the spiritual qualities in the mind and that those various ceremonies those various performances, observances, are the means by which we cultivate those spiritual qualities in the mind. They are the means. So that in giving, we understand that in giving that is a, a way of cultivating certain spiritual qualities, the idea of renunciation, the idea of giving up relinquishment, which is to cut away the self-centered selfishness which is in itself the obstacle to happiness the obstacle to progress in spiritual on the spiritual path we understand that through the various acts of uh, devotion or uh, some of the say as bowing and chanting that these are in themselves cultivating the spiritual qualities of gratitude to the teacher. They arouse the very beneficial qualities of a joyful and a happy heart. They can be used and should be used as ways of cultivating greater 
uh, mindfulness and concentration because they are performed with the mind and body in the present. This act of bowing, the act of chanting is in itself a way of establishing the mind, collecting the mind, focusing the mind, making the mind peaceful, making the mind concentrated. So that they are a training for cultivating the spiritual qualities. The act in itself is not, it's just the means, the skillful means. And so we have this uh, strong emphasis on understanding what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how it works in order to develop morality, in order to develop skillfulness, in order to develop merit, in order to develop the spiritual path. It is not enough to just perform certain observances. We can't just leave it at that. It's not enough. It's not good enough to perform observances, call them religious practices, do it without any understanding, because then that is purely superstitious, blind ritual. It isn't a religious practice. And there are so many of these practices. There are so, you know, in, in all religions. And when you hear it, and people will adhere to them and repeat them, and they are taught. I mean, uh, they are taught that, yes, if you, you know, if you don't go to the temple, if you don't go to the church on Sunday morning, it's a sin. And why is it a sin? What does a sin mean? What is a sin? If you go to the church, if you go to the temple, then it's it's, it's merit. Mm-hmm. What is it meritorious? Is it? What is merit? Now in Buddhism we don't talk about sin, but we talk about the opposite of merit and the opposite of skillful, wholesome. We call it akusala, is the unskillful or the unwholesome. There are unwholesome, but it's not not going to the temple, it's not unwholesome. Mm -hmm. In Buddhism, again, the unwholesome, what what could be rendered as a sin, is is more like the idea of consciously, volitionally acting in a way which is contrary to Dhamma, contrary to the path to peace, to wisdom, to happiness. It's volitionally choosing to act, to speak, to think Mm. from greed, from the base of greed and selfishness, from the base of aversion and anger, from the base of confusion, fear, superstition. That is uh, what we call unskillful, unwholesome. Why? Because in acting based on that volition, that hinders, it obstructs, it goes the opposite direction than the path to peace and happiness. That's all. It's not a sin in that it offends anyone, uh, any power, but it's just in accordance with the laws of nature, in accordance with the fact that how we live and how we think and how we speak will bring about its consequences and results. Those ways of acting and speaking and thinking will bring about the results which are contrary to the spiritual aspiration, spiritual goal. But the volition is the important thing. Not so much the action. It's the volition, why you are doing it. So have you noticed with regards even simple things like, as I said, the first thing is the observances. And I'm going to, if one goes to the temple, for some with an intention to, you know, for something which is not very wholesome. I don't think many people come to the temple for uh, to get any lottery numbers. Not many. There are some Thai people who do that, even here. Hmm? That would be rather unskillful. But there are some people who do visit the temple for very unskillful reasons. We've had our money box in the 
in Perth, stolen many times. <laughs> Somebody must intend to go to the temple. <laughs> they intend to go to the Vihara. Uh, quite intentionally. Of course they pick a rather strange hour sometimes during the night, but their intention is very clear to go to the temple. But the <laughs> intention is, again, not based on uh, any of the wholesome. It's very unwholesome. It's based on uh, what the intention is to go and steal. But why is one going? Or one goes to the temple to tell somebody off. I'm going to go and really set this straight today. I'm going to go there and I'm going to tell them so and so what I think of them. You go to the temple and you really lay into that so and so. Of course that intention is not very wholesome, not very skillful. Unwholesome, even go doing. So these observances, why? Why does one go? Uh, in meditation, why does one sit meditation? There can be a lot of uh, ulterior motives sometimes in just sitting meditation. There's, uh, in Thailand, there are many meditation, you know, very sincere meditation monks. There are some monks who are quite, um, it's a living, you see. It's a matter of a living. So I am told, I'm not sure how accurate this is, and I would not like to misrepresent monks, but there are occasions when one monks, uh, or people who are not monks, dress up as monks. They put on the monks' robes, and they go uh, into the cities, and uh, specifically for collecting arms and collecting money quite often because they do get money as well. And uh, apparently that has uh, been happening quite uh, often. Then sometimes these monks dress up with these... uh, So some of you who have been to town and will have noticed that many of the monks, most of the monks, wear a more uh, yellow-coloured robe, bright-coloured robe. And traditionally, say 30 years ago, the forest monks and meditative monks would wear a dark coloured robe so that um, just be, they, they're just a slightly different colour. These days you can't tell because the dark coloured robes are becoming quite fashionable now. <laughs> All the monks want to wear dark coloured robes. But in those days it was more obvious. So some of these monks would put on these dark coloured robes and um, also the meditation monks would you know, usually travel live in the forests and and when they travel they carry these um, umbrellas with, from which they hang the mosquito nets and they live these mosquito nets and umbrellas when they stay in the forest. So some of these monks would uh, you know, would put up their mosquito net and sit, but not in the forest, quite close to the edge of the city or the town. And they would sit there. And of course people would be very impressed and they'd go there and, and um, Inevitably, they would uh, get their fortune told and they would get their palms read and all sorts of things and the the monks would make a very good living out of this. So that, you know, uh, even something like meditation, sitting, (laughs) meditation can be from an ulterior motive. At the very least, sitting to impress sitting so still <laughs> for so long. <laughs> Again, you know, the, the point to make here, though, is that volition, when we say intention, if intention is not a, a you know, constant thing. Intention is a, it's just like consciousness. It's very fast. There are many, many intentions are possible in one action. So don't, don't think that if you see just the slightest bit of wrong intention involved in a good action, that that detracts from the good action. But what is the primary intention? What is the main intention behind the action? So in these observances and practices, uh, they are not in themselves necessarily skillful or good. It depends on the intention. In the same way with uh, moral rules, moral precepts. I don't know, is it it the, the moral precept? Is uh, very much the intention behind it. Is 
what is the intention in keeping that rule? In doing that or not doing that? How does one do it? So that it's not just, uh, you know, sometimes we, in Buddhism we, we make a very strong distinction. So, for instance, we don't talk about a sinner. He's a sinner. That, that's such a final, isn't it? So final. In Buddhism we don't talk like that. I mean, some people, uh, even with precepts, some people keep precepts very well. Some don't keep them so well. Does that mean that they are evil people? Mm-hmm. Does that mean that someone who uh, you know, who drinks wine with his meal or has the occasional glass of beer is an evil man? Uh, well, it depends. You have to look at the whole person. In actual fact, some of these, uh, from my experience anyway, uh, some people who don't keep the precepts completely are, are actually very fine people. Very fine, and uh, one would certainly feel some respect for the, for the goodness in their life, because they may have a lot of goodness in their life, but maybe that one precept they don't keep very well. So they want, you know, they've got a failing, they're not perfect. But they uh, they can be still very very good people, very good people, very fine uh, intentions, a lot of compassion sometimes, a lot of kindness, a lot of honesty. They can re- readily admit their failings. Everyone would say a very fine person, actually, despite the fact that there's a blemish there. Hmm? Because the blemish is on a level which is, yes, there is a blemish on the surface in action, but the overall quality of the mind and the quality, the spiritual qualities may still be very good, still quite good. And so we, we look more deeply than just the external act. It is important for us to appreciate the, the volition, where it's coming from. It is very important for us to understand that uh, goodness and the spirituality is more a quality of the heart and the mind and not just some external observances and acts. Because as far as observances and acts, people can still be very, uh, quite quite selfish, quite angry, uh, quite negative and quite mean. And this we've seen through the ages where religion and religious people have certainly lacked spiritual qualities, have certainly lacked what we would call uh, compassion and enlightened attitudes. Where in actual fact the the very attachment to the religious ceremony, religious rite, has led to even greater forms of arrogance even greater forms of uh, unskillfulness. I mean, a perfect example of this is some of the beliefs, uh, not so much in Buddhism, but in other religions. And this, and I'm not just sort of bashing religions today, I'm not interested in bashing anything. I'm interested in, in developing an enlightened attitude. And if there are unenlightened attitudes practiced by anybody, any religion, any place, I think it's good to sort of con- to become aware that it's unenlightened. I mean, there are unenlightened practices in every religion, in every organization. But it's not the fault, it's the unenlightenment. So, I mean, that a, 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 any religious order or philosophy can teach that by going to kill people, you will be rewarded by a place in heaven. I mean, that that is pretty sick, isn't it? I think it's a very sick... Uh, attitude, very, very unenlightened attitude. The idea of uh, actually going out to intentionally to kill people, to maim, to destroy, to kill. And the belief that that is somehow a religious action. And that, that is pretty unenlightened, <laughs> I would have to think. It's very unenlightened. Then I would be very sad if that is uh, not seen 
has uh, not made clear, not pointed out, that there's such an observance as a religion, you know, observance of that action as a religious action is is degenerate, uh, utterly degenerate, and that. Uh, I also certainly hope that through the process of more maturity, spiritual maturity, as human beings become more and more aware of what spirituality is, spirituality in the sense of cultivating the humane, cultivating the spiritual qualities, those qualities which tend towards the purity of mind, tend towards wisdom, tend towards peace, tend towards compassion, that uh, you know, the spiritual paths, all of the different paths, will converge into that which we call the path of goodness, the path leading to spiritual progress, where we're intentionally, uh, you know, the, the intention is behind the actions, behind the active, acting from delusion and fear, so that the, the volition is very clearly one of cultivating a path of non, non-selfishness, non-hatred and non-delusion, non-fear. So that in, in Buddhism I think we can uh, encourage this very much. It's not that uh, if we do good we're going to be rewarded by anyone. It's not like that. If we do good, if we really live a good life, it's already its own reward, because goodness is already its own reward. And when you do good things, it's its own reward. When you do, when your volition is good, it, the reward is already there. You feel good. You have self-respect. You have inner joy. Already. Just like, what is the reward of being mindful? Mindfulness is its own reward. When one is mindful, one is peaceful. You don't have to wait till next, uh, if I'm mindful today, I'll be peaceful tomorrow. No, when you're mindful, you're peaceful. It's the immediate reward. That's the immediate reward that one can see and experience directly. The result of doing good, and the result of developing the skillful, is immediate reward. If we don't notice the reward, it's quite often because there is some ulterior motive. Uh, In other words, there is some unskillful uh, volition also involved. Some form of greed, some form of aversion, some form of fear, some form of delusion. And as to the, uh, the future, of course, if we do, if we develop that which is good, that which is truly uh, based on goodness, then the future it'll be alright. If we take care of the present, the future will be alright. If we, how, what is the best way to look after the future? Look after the present, the future will be alright. What is the best way to be mindful? What can you do so that you will be mindful tomorrow? What can you do so that you will be mindful tomorrow? Be mindful today. What can you do to uh, ensure that you'll be wise awake tomorrow? Be wise and awake today. What can you do to ensure that you'll be peaceful tomorrow? Be peaceful today. When we cultivate the, the present moment, then the, the future is that's the best way to look after the future. So that uh, with regards to that, you know, the rewards, they're not so much rewards, it's more like the natural outcome. The natural outcome according to the laws of nature, the way things operate. And so there's, uh, I think, for us, a strong emphasis on understanding what are we doing and why are we doing it. Skillfulness and goodness is not the action so much, is not the observance so much, is not the external, but it, it, it refers to the quality of mind, the intention, the volition. When our volition is coming from the idea of generosity, the idea of 
compassion, the idea of wisdom and understanding, yes, we are developing goodness, skillfulness. And likewise, the opposite. However, when we develop skillfulness, it is already its own reward. We do experience the reward right now. And we will experience it for the future. Because the best way to look after the future is by looking after the present, this this moment. So that on these, uh, having religious days, you know, it's like a, a religious day. There's not nothing religious about today. I don't think there's anything religious at all about Sunday. As far as I'm concerned, it's just another day. Every day is religious. Every day is a, a religious day. If people make it a religious day, every day is a good day when we live in a good way. Every day is a meditation day when we meditate. Every day is a perfect day for enlightenment when we become enlightened on that day. Every day, every moment, every hour, they're all the same. We can talk about conditions, yes, of course, because there's general agreement about making this day a rest day, a religious day, then the conditions may be more favorable, you know, we don't have to go to work and all that. It's, yes, there are those factors. But it's not the day, it's just what we do with it. It's not just what we do with it. As far as we are concerned, there's no problem. Any day is fine. Any day that people get together to do good things is a good day. Christmas Day is a very good day because usually people get together to do good things a little bit. <laughs> not, not altogether good because they get together and do some foolish things as well. So from the Buddhist perspective, what is the Buddhist uh, religious day? Any day for a Buddhist is a religious day. Any day is a good day. Any day is a spiritual day. The day that we choose to cultivate those qualities, the day that we cultivate those qualities is the day that we can call the religious day and the good day. If on Sunday people, uh, if we cultivate the very opposite, it can't be a religious day. It can't be a good day. Hmm? So that, uh, although I, I mentioned at the start of the talk that the Buddha, according to Buddhist tradition, the religious day was on the moon days, it can make it any day, it doesn't matter. It was just a way of marking the passage of time, just a way of reminding, like agreeing, okay, this day we'll call the Uposta day, we put things aside. It's helpful to have a special day because it's a way of reminding ourselves to do something special on that day. But we can make it any day. Sunday is fine. And if one doesn't have a temple to meditate in and there's a very nice cathedral, quiet and peaceful, it would be lovely to go and sit and, and meditate in the cathedral. And, there can, uh, there's, uh, a lot of, uh, quite often I'm asked by... Um, Many of the Thai people living in Australia who are married, most of them are married to Western uh, husbands and who are Christian, and they ask me whether it's, uh, whether it's demerit for them to go along to the Christian church on Sunday with their husbands. I wouldn't think so. Wherever one goes to do good, that is a good thing to do. Wherever one goes to cultivate goodness and the true understanding of goodness, that is a good day, a good place and a good activity. Goodness is not restricted to a place, it's not restricted to an, act, an observance. Goodness is not restricted to a particular time, it's the quality of the mind, the quality of the heart. If there are people doing good things and we join in and rejoice, and their goodness, that is also our goodness. But goodness, remember, is those volitions that come from lack of greed, lack of hatred, and lack of delusion. Very important. Greed and hatred are reasonably easy to see, aren't they? You know, you, 
you can notice when there's greed in, in your mind or in your, behind your act. And aversion. But delusion is very, very hard to see because by definition delusion means not seeing. Hmm? So you don't see delusion. That's the one that's very hard to see. That's why there is so much delusion because it's hard to see. Behind the observances there is delusion. Behind the acts there is delusion. Maybe no greed, no aversion, but there is delusion. And there is fear and there is superstition. And that is the one that is the biggest problem for many people who call themselves religious and many, many paths that are supposed to be religious paths. And so it is important for us uh, to, to try and have a clear understanding, really have clear appreciation of what we are doing, why we are doing, what the consequences are in order to be free from the unskillfulness of delusion in our actions, even religious actions. And note the very important last point is that unless there is a freedom from this delusion, in other words, that our religious practice, uh, practices are undertaken with wisdom, in the end, you give them up. Because fear and craving, though very powerful, motivators. They don't go all the way. Eventually you start, you don't, well, you don't care anymore. If you don't do that, you'll go to hell. And at first it really frightens you and you do it, but after a while you get fed up with it and say, oh, that's all right, I'll go to hell. So <laughs> I don't care. It's like, you know, with little children, you can frighten them. After a while they just, well, I don't, I don't care. And craving is the same, isn't it? You'll be rewarded. But after a while, you become a bit sceptical. Where is it? I can't see heaven anywhere. I don't believe anymore. <laughs> and then you don't care. And there's no basis for your religious practice then. And a lot of religious observances are like that. For monastics, are like... Uh, you know, all those rules, don't do this and do this, and very strict. But why is never considered? Why? Why a monk celibate? Why a priest celibate? Because uh, we, we have to be. Why? I don't know. <laughs> and so after a while, you know, you can, you can sustain that with the idea of a reward in a future life and, uh, or punishment, but you know, in the end it sort of loses its power. And there's no reason for it. And there's no understanding and people just forget about it. So these observances, religious observances, when still, mm, still coming from delusion, not understanding, in other words, through fear and craving, in the end they will be abandoned. People will not stick with them because fear and... and uh, and, uh, and uh, craving, though very powerful motivators, mm, in the end they, you get fed up with it. You just get fed up with those things. Especially when it's uh, with something you can't see and it is uh, sort of far away. The fear of punishment in the future. Yeah, it depends on belief and that belief is easily shaken. And the reward in the future. So that um, in the end, if the, if the religious practice becomes just observances based on either greed, uh, greed and hatred, as I said, are pretty straightforward, but delusion, you will give it up, you will forget it, you will throw it out, and uh, you'll have nothing left. So it's uh, very important that these uh, religious practices come from skillful, non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. We, we do what we do with understanding. Are there any questions today? Yes. Um, I want to find out, um, if an act of kindness is based on 
some motivation, say like uh, an aspiration for good karma. Is that considered uh, non-meritorious? This is a very, uh, you know, it's a recurring sort of uh, dilemma, because when you say the word, and especially if you use the word desire, which is a very mild word, uh, you know, a, then of course there's some desire in all our actions. So we've got to actually use a very much stronger word like craving, you know, an obsessive craving. Uh, something which is obsessive in the mind. Now, if we do meritorious actions, of course, if there is a desire for, you know, there's just you know, knowledge that that will bring us happiness, or, you know, it's, it's part and parcel of developing the path and the, which we're aspiring to. But it wouldn't be unskillful, and not like, uh, it's not the same as selfishness uh, or craving and obsessiveness of the mind. There is a difference in intensity there. And in the Pali language, the Buddhist language, they have different words to designate these different um, different types of motivations. One of them is um, chanda. Chanda is just like... Um, mm, it's usually used for uh, like dhamma chanda. Uh, it's the... Uh, is, is the idea of uh, contentment with, or not more like a wish, sankapa, wish. And uh, whereas the, more like the idea of craving, uh, the unskillful aspect is usually designated by words like tanha, lopa, uh, Yes, those words in particular, raka, lopa, tanha, they are very unskilled, they are always associated with unskillful. Uh, they are associated with a sort of an obsession of mind which is craving. Mm -hmm. So there is a distinction, and we, we can say, uh, aspiration and wish, desire, could be more, so they can be associated with the, with uh, the skillfulness, more the skillful motivators. If it is uh, craving, greed, craving, selfishness, uh, obsession of the mind, yes, that would be unskillful. So you have to look closely at the motivation, as, uh, and you will see it very easily. If, if your act is coming from the uh, craving, it will bring you problems. The mind is not peaceful. A meditation, if you meditate, and a lot of people say, when you meditate, you want to be, you want to attain concentration, don't you? That's unskillful. But notice the difference. When you meditate, with the aspiration to attain concentration or peace, but that aspiration is always associated with wisdom, understanding that the result comes from the condition. And what you have to do is develop the conditions. So you just make effort to develop the conditions, and the result will come by itself. So there is no suffering. But if you approach it from craving to have that result, I want to get, I want to achieve, I want to have, you are experiencing a very unpeaceful state of mind already, as uh, suffering already. When you don't achieve your suffering, the process of trying to achieve your suffering, if you achieve, you're still suffering because you're, then you lose it. But you usually can't achieve because concentration and, uh, you know, these skillful states can only arise from skillful volitions. If the mind is uh, in itself caught in craving, it is the obstacle. So that is probably the test for it. If you want to know whether you are in your action, is you know more is is skillful or unskillful. Look very closely at the state of the mind. Is it peaceful? Is it peaceful? Is it calm? Or is it agitated and uh, anxious? If it's agitated, anxious, or tense, then it's usually unskillful. So we make that distinction between aspiration and craving, let's say. Yes. So, 
if I interpret it correctly, if um, if the desirability for the for good karma is more or less like a craving, then it will not be skillful and and therefore the act of kindness cannot be meritorious. If it's like uh-huh. Well, I think you've got to appreciate that, as I said, volition or intention is very quick. There may be many intentions in one act. You know, I say, ah, oh, you know, I, I see somebody here. Oh, God, would you like, a, <laughs> you know, give them a chocolate? And, uh, you know, the intention is to want to give them a chocolate. Now the intention is, if I give them a chocolate, they'll like me. <laughs> And you know, so there may be many intentions, but uh, but you have to be aware of your main intention. If it is, and there are usually many intentions in in every action. Sometimes there is a bit of, you know, there's always a little bit of. Uh, as long as there's a self-center, there will be some self in, in your in your uh, act. It, it you can't escape it. But it doesn't mean that it's no longer a good action. It's a good action, but maybe, you know, how pure was your motivation? You have to see how, which was the predominant intention. Uh, because we can see in our speech sometimes, we can, you know, when we talk to people, depends on what our motivation and what is behind our speech. Uh, but it, you shouldn't make it too complicated. Just be aware if there is some unskillful, then one is aware of that. But don't detract from the goodness there. And I'm not saying, ah, oh, yeah, I gave that to them, but I really, yeah, I did want to help them, but I also wanted to get the gratification of doing something good. And, and if you do that, then you sort of make it impossible. So don't detract from the goodness. When you do good things, it is good, but be aware of the... Um, there may be some blemish there with regards, maybe some of selfish motivation as well. Uh, this lady had a question first. Yes. Since 